Hey, Seth. How you doing, man? Pretty good. I just had some very good, um, I guess it was Thai food. Oh, nice. I've never had Thai. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty banger. Yeah. I, um... Bojangles? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually had Chick-fil-A. Um, oh, okay. But I have the, you know, the app that you earn rewards with, so I was able to eat my meal for, um, less than $2, because I used reward points for the rest, so... Nice. That was my economic living for the week. <laughs> um, yeah, if you hear any music in the background, I got some neighbors who are jamming out some love ballads. So, um, <laughs> but that would actually fit the movie we're discussing very well, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, so we watched <laughs> Back to the Future. Yeah, and I actually watched it with our mutual friends slash former roommates. Um, Brian, Cody, and Charles, and they all thought it was hilarious. <laughs> so we had a great time watching that movie together. And I know you really like this movie. It's, uh, I mean, regardless of where it ranks on my, you know, list of favorite movies or best movies, it's the movie that I've seen the most times in my life. And I really don't anticipate any movie ever, ever topping it. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, I can go ahead and say, so I went through a Back to the Future Marty McFly phase when I was in eighth grade. Mm. And I would come home from school and put on one of the movies. It was typically the first one, but mm-hmm. I, uh, I still had a VHS player in my room. And my mom had picked up the Back to the Future trilogy on VHS from, like, a yard sale. And, I mean, she probably picked it up years before, but I wasn't, I didn't become, like, obsessed with the movie until I was in eighth grade. But I I do remember just coming home from school every day, putting on one of the movies, and I dressed like Marty McFly almost every day for at least half that year. Um, Yeah. It it was it was it was bad. Like it <laughs> Yeah. It was it was a um it was an unhealthy obsession, I would say. <laughs> so but but uh I've probably seen the first movie between fifty and one hundred times and that is not an exaggeration. Maybe wow, more yeah. maybe more than a hundred. I, I couldn't tell you because cause it was really every day for an entire school year, just about. Yeah. But I can also understand why this particular movie with how um, cool Marty McFly is and like that he would be a compelling character for, you know, you as an eighth grader <clears throat> to enjoy watching him cruise through life um, in two different decades in quite <laughs> smooth waves and uh, realize his dream of becoming a musician too. <laughs> so. Yeah. I'd say uh, you have a lot in common with Marty McFly. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I guess we could talk about that. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So do you want to uh, tell us the IMDb information? We yeah. Should know? I'm, I'm going to try to not look at IMDb because I, well, at one point I would think that I knew more about this movie than the people that were in it. <laughs> yeah. Um I I I'm I'm a little bit more foggy now, but I still have all of this knowledge about the making of this movie, the behind the scenes. Mm. I I know a lot of little details that I would say most people don't know. Yeah. But um yeah, so I'm going to try to I'll probably I I definitely don't know what this movie grossed so i'll have to look that up yeah i can pull that up too you can (laughs) you can just you can just let us have it man okay so this movie was released on july 3rd 1985 and it takes place mostly in california um so hill valley i believe the town center was a set on like a a lot in hollywood Hmm. but there are many places that they did 
film that you can visit in real life. I remember I saw this interesting YouTube video years ago when I was in middle school or high school where this one guy had never been to California and made a trip out of going to visit all of the Back to the Future film locations. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And I told myself I would do that one day. So Yeah, wow. But yeah, so I believe you can, you know, the school was like a real school and some of the streets like where the at the very beginning of the movie when you see him skateboarding down the street and there's like mm-hmm. a burger king and then all that other stuff i believe that's a real street where the burger king still exists or it at least i think existed up until that youtube video i saw that that guy made mm. so mostly filmed in california <clears throat> uh the director was robert zemeckis and this movie was written by robert zemeckis and bob gale um and Robert Zemeckis, you may know him. He he's done Forrest Gump. Um, oh wow! He directed uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I believe. He did The Polar Express. Uh, I'm trying to think of another. Like he's done some heavy duty movies. I think he did one recently. Here, I'm going to look at his IMDb really quick. Yeah. Um, he did Flight with Denzel Washington. Um. I feel like I saw his name on a very popular movie recently. Um, director, there we go. Um, oh, well, so he directed the new Witches movie with Anne Hathaway. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, What Lies Beneath? That's a really good movie, or I really mm-hmm. liked it. I haven't seen that. But, yeah, so he's he's pretty, you know... He's there mm-hmm. in, in Hollywood, and he's done quite a few films. Yeah. I guess some, he's been a producer of a lot of stuff that he didn't direct, but yes. he's also directed a lot, yeah. Yes. Um, and so the actors, you know, there's some, there's some names, some big names in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so Michael J. Fox, he was, he was a regular on Family Ties. And that is a show that I own every season of on DVD because <laughs> uh, right. I'm a big Michael J. Fox fan yeah. too. Um, but yeah, so he he's had he's had a. I mean, I I feel like this movie he can never get away from this movie because this is the biggest thing he's ever done. Yeah. But he he was a, I guess you could say heartthrob. Um, I don't know if that's a term that I would necessarily associate with him, but he was a big deal in the '80s. Yeah. I can see um, that. And Christopher Lloyd, uh, I know him from Adam's Family. He did those movies as well. Um, I'm trying to think of something else that I might know him from. He's in a funny movie called The Ransom of Red Chief, um, where him and this other dude kidnap a young um, Haley Joel Osment, and he just <laughs> like he terrorizes the kidnappers to the point where they try to send the kid back and the kid's parents don't want him back either. Cause the kid was such a, um, like, like handful. So it's like a funny movie, but I feel yeah, like he... he was also in, I feel like I've seen him as a villain many times before. I want to say he was in a, um, Dennis, the menace movie <laughs> hmm. as like a, a villain, but I couldn't be too sure. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Leah Thompson. Uh, another movie that I know her from. Well, okay. So she was on a show in previous years where I'm trying to think of what it was called. Um, it, it, the, the protagonist of that series was a young high school age deaf girl. Um, hmm. I don't remember the name of the show, I think, but I think she played like her mom. Switched at birth. Okay, yeah. Okay, I've heard of that. Um, that that's something I've seen her in recently. But also, she was in the original Red Dawn. If you've seen, oh, cool, yeah, Patrick Swayze and mm. is Charlie Sheen in that movie too? I think. Maybe um, I don't know. It's been a long time. Crispin Glover. <laughs> I know him uh, from I think a Charlie's Angels movie, but I think this is his biggest role. Um, yeah. And arguably the best, if not one of the best parts of this particular movie. Yeah, I've heard that he's what made it for some people in this movie. Like, um, yeah. And his his absence from the 
other movies, I think people lamented. Yes. Yes. Um, and the reason for that, I'll just say, uh, he, he, they just couldn't come to an agreement on, on money. Hmm. They, uh, he, he felt he deserved, I think a similar salary to Michael J. Fox. And they were like, no, he's our star. We're not going to pay you that much. Yeah. And so they just, they killed him off in the second movie. And then in the scenes where George McFly was in the scenes where George McFly was present, it, they just had another actor wearing makeup and he was upside down. <laughs> so you couldn't really hmm. necessarily yeah. tell that it wasn't Crispin Glover. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but those are the names that I think are, Oh, Billy Zane. He was one of Biff's henchmen. Okay. Uh, he, he was in Titanic. He, uh, he was in, I think he was in Zoolander. He has a uh, he he appears in an episode of Community, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he's a guy that's been around too. But I think those are some of the the more major players. The guy who played Biff, uh, Thomas F. Wilson. Mm-hmm. I don't really think he's been in too many other things that yeah are of the same status as Back to the Future. Yeah, well, when you appear as the bad guy in all three of the Back to the Future movies, I guess. Well, I guess I don't know if he's the actor in the third one. He but, is. So, yeah. Mad <laughs> Dog Tannen. Yeah, he might I feel like he might kind of um have typecast himself a little bit just Perhaps. by being so good at being a, you know, a bad guy. <clears throat> yeah. And Claudia Wells, she was Jennifer. She did not come back for the um subsequent movies, and I believe that was because she had some family issues to take care of, like I think someone mm-hmm. in her family was sick. And so she couldn't commit to doing another movie, which I think is really to the detriment of this series. Because I actually really liked her as Jennifer, and I mm-hmm. don't think Elizabeth Shue popped as much, or she didn't really, she didn't really do much. She didn't have much to do in the first place, but I, I didn't think that what she was given, she really, you know, yeah, did much with it. Yeah, they did, she didn't have a very big role. That character didn't have a very big role in the second <laughs> movie. I watched the second movie after this just because I was curious. Um, Oh yeah, and, and but I haven't seen the third one yet. Third one's fun. Uh, a yeah. lot of people dismiss. So the second one is a sequel that people I think take or leave, mm-hmm. but the third one is largely probably just disregarded. Most people, I would say, don't watch that one. Which yeah. I think they're all a very fun time. Yeah, but that, um, the first one I think is definitely the best. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I I I really like though in the second one not to start talking about. We're talking about Back to the Future today, but (laughs) for part two, I I do think that it was really cool that they revisited the first movie. I don't know if that had ever been done before in cinema. Yeah, and it created a whole lot of complications, (laughs) Yeah, I guess, in doing that. Yeah, but that was really a really neat idea to, why don't we go back and go back into the first movie? Yeah. Sort of see it from a different perspective. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, and... Just scrolling through. I guess the last thing to mention is the, you know, how much it grossed. So mm-hmm. the budget was 19 mil, 19 million. And the cumulative worldwide gross in theaters is 388 million. Wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah. and that's just, and I, and, and, you know, that's really just theaters, that number. So. Yeah. So yeah, it, it like remade its budget by like twenty fold, I guess, if I'm doing math yeah. right. So Thereabouts, yeah. yeah. So that's pretty, pretty successful. And I mean, it it made like a ton of that back just on the opening weekend. It looks like yeah. So this must have been a really big hit back in the day too. I think it actually wasn't big initially. I think it took a took a few weeks or something. I might be making that part up, but. Mm. I think that it became a huge hit, you know, shortly thereafter. Yeah. No, I can see that. But uh, funny sort of behind the scene, the movie actually, they wanted Michael J. Fox initially, but he couldn't get out of his contract with family ties. And so Mm -hmm. they hired another actor named Eric Stoltz to play Marty McFly and filmed for like months. Um, And they just didn't think that, 
it was right. They didn't think he was right for the part, and they mm. just didn't. They weren't feeling it, and so they went back to um, whatever studio Family Ties was was owned by, and they sort of worked out an arrangement. And so Michael J. Fox was able to do Back to the Future in the evenings. So most of the filming, I guess, was done at night, and you can tell that in the movie. Like mm. there's a lot of night scenes, but so he worked all day on a TV show, and then at nighttime worked on Back to the Future and didn't really sleep, like, at all for months. Wow. <laughs> well, I think it, it definitely paid off. I mean, I, I wouldn't have known that, you know, he was working like a like a zombie, but because of, you know, he looks he looks like a cool cat in this movie. <laughs> yeah, um, but I'll let you get into a, a, a bit of a synopsis, and I'm, I'm, interested, in, I'm interested to hear what um, your thoughts are on this movie as well. Yeah, well, yeah, I think that was a, a good background summary. Um, I think it's also, also fun just to hear you talk about its own impact in your life. Um, I have a lot of trivia that may come out throughout. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll <laughs> make it fun. Um, so I, I think I really like this movie on a structural level, and I think it tells a weird story, but it tells it in a very efficient, cohesive, fun way. Yeah. So you got... Your beginning exposition, um, and one of the things I noticed about this movie uh, and watching it and then going back through and trying to um, notice more details is that every single detail pretty much matters and comes back somehow to another connection in the movie, which is super cool. I think it's one of the reasons you could watch this a lot of times and keep on picking up on new things. Uh, So in the beginning, you meet Marty McFly, who... um, is has his ambitions of being a musician you see him blasting himself with a massive guitar speaker trying out for you know the school um like talent show or dance or something like that but his band is just too loud so he's not allowed to <laughs> um so he's got that conflict where um that's going on and the, he's also carless and he wants to go on a date um and he can't because he doesn't have a car and i mentioned that because i think that's an important part of his character that marty is has a strong relationship to the car um so this is the uh, I guess other stuff that goes on in the beginning is I think there's really a good mirroring between the beginning and the end where um, just in the, the setting, because they're really trying to get to the, you know, the heart of the movie back in 1955 quickly that Marty starts in Doc's lab. He goes and meets Jennifer. He meets her at school, but their school really matter a whole lot other than, you know, that's where he meets Jennifer in the beginning of the movie. Um, and then uh, so he's got his date plan with Jennifer and then Marty goes home. So at home we meet Marty's family and they are a hilarious bunch. Um, so <laughs> he walks in on you know, learning that the car he was going to take uh, Jennifer on this date with is crashed um, because George, George, his father um, is a pushover and Biff his bully boss is just like walking all over him and is blaming, you know, everything on George. Um, so I don't think he's his boss. Um, I think he's just a co-worker. A co-worker. He, so he treats him like as if he's boss. Um, and he's, he's a bully. So Biff's a bully. George is a bit of a pushover. Uh, we meet Lorraine, uh, who is basically portrayed as an alcoholic um, and not a very happy person. Uh, his sister, so Lorraine is Marty's mom. Then you have Linda, his sister, who she's basically just cast as being single. And then his brother Dave, <laughs> who is wearing this kind of funny-looking work uniform, um, not a super inspiring person. Um, but at the dinner table, Lorraine retells the story of how her and George fell in love. Um, and that's really important narratively for our story because Marty goes on to relive that story in 1955. Um, so as Marty is going to meet Doc, they move, he moves from the home to the mall. Um, and you see this cool unfolding of the DeLorean, um, it's Doc's a super eccentric, funny character. He's like all over the place. Um, you see that the time machine does work. They're able to send a dog back in time. So obviously they could send a person back in time. But plot twist. The Libyans from whom Doc stole the plutonium <laughs> come and kill him. <laughs> and Marty has to <laughs> escape. So Marty takes the time machine back to the date where um, Doc has mentioned that you know he had this epiphany of how to create the flux capacitor that makes the time traveling DeLorean possible. So Marty arrives back in 1955 after a dramatic um, car chase. 
and he is perceived to be an alien by the farm family that finds him um, because he's wearing this radiation suit and he's driving a car they've never seen before. Um, so, of course, he proceeds to drive away, he hides the car because it's too conspicuous. Um, he makes his way into Hill Valley, which is, you know, the same town he's living in 30 years in the future, but it's you know, super different. Um, very, like, throwback, I guess, a lot of uh, cultural allusions to those years you see just in a few minutes walking around downtown Hill Valley. Um, then the interactions get interesting because Marty's um, path is intertwined with his father, George. And um, from there, that's when the story, I think, gets really interesting because uh, George and Biff are living out the same conflict in the past that they're having in the future where Biff's a bully and George is pushover. Um, but the, the drama is uh, thickened when Marty accidentally replaces his father, George, as the love interest. Um, and Caleb, I don't know how we keep picking these like incestuous movies to watch. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> so this is where the movie is rated PG, you know, for old PG, but it's a little weird because you find out that Marty's father is a peeping Tom and, <laughs> and like the only reason that uh, they fell in love is because he fell out of the tree from which he was watching her undress and her dad almost ran over him. <laughs> so, uh, but Marty replaces uh, George in that car crash. And from there, Lorraine starts falling hard for Marty. Um, so the love story section of this movie is basically told as like alternating sequences between uh, something significant with George and Lorraine and then Marty and or Doc having a side mission for how Marty's going to get back to the future. So you have this, you know, drama where you're like, oh man, like Lorraine's into Marty, this isn't good. And then you see Marty goes and meets Doc, who is, you know, his himself 30 years in the past, but Marty's able to prove to him that, you know, this is legit and there is a time machine that he used to travel. Um, and they have this brilliant idea to harness the lightning of the clock to uh, on the clock strike that happened on this date in history really conveniently to power um, the DeLorean and get it back to the future because you can't just walk around and find all these Libyans with plutonium in 1955. Um, I think that is, is a good kind of summary of the conflict for Doc's character is that even from the beginning, he's closely tied with all these clocks because all these clocks are going off, you know, in his lab room. Um, so Doc's <clears throat> core conflict is that is against time in one sense because he's trying to master time as a scientist, but he's also running out of time as a person because we know, of course, he dies in 1985 at the hands of the Libyans. And um, <laughs> so back to the George and uh, Lorraine drama, uh, we find that Marty has to get his parents to fall back in love or else Marty's going to disappear because of some, you know, that time paradox thing going on. So he tries to get them introduced, but Lorraine's totally not buying it. Um, and Marty has to you know, find out how to get George to really get bold and ask out the mom, right? Because he's a passive dude. He's not taking these steps. So George would be convinced um, by, you know, some type of supernatural intervention. So Marty, knowing that his radiation suit makes him look like an alien, pulls an alien stunt on George in the middle of the night and tells him uh, as the alien visitor that he needs to ask out this girl. And I guess that was the sign from the sky that George was waiting for. But the next uh, day they're in the diner and George tries to ask Lorraine out, but he has probably the worst delivery possible. And he's reading something or, and mispronouncing the words on it. And it's super awkward. Um, and then Biff shows up and of course ruins everything. But rather than George confronting Biff, Marty steals the show He's the one fighting Biff. They go on this crazy chase around town. Um, and Lorraine is totally has the hots for Marty, who she calls Calvin Klein because of his underwear. Um, so another, you know, intercalation here with the Doc and Marty drama. Um, they're still figuring out, you know, how they're going to get the car to work. It looks like making good progress. But then we have the drama of the relationship where Lorraine forces Marty to ask her out to the dance. And, Marty doesn't see another way to do it, but he tells George to come anyways. And because Marty is planning on making unwanted advances on his mother. And that is very interesting. Um, so the, when doc and Marty are aside, you know, figuring out their time plan on the night of the, uh, the night of the dance, 
when all this stuff's coming to a head. Doc refuses to know his own future from Marty, but Marty writes this letter anyways that tells Doc what's going to happen, and he leaves it up to Doc what he's going to do with it, even though Doc will eventually tear the letter to shreds. Um, so at the dance, which I would say is kind of like the biggest you know, climax of this, this love story part, is all of the conflict is comes to a head and is ultimately resolved. So Marty does try to advance on his mom, but the awkward part is it's not an unwelcome advance. It's a wanted advance. So he's kind of in this sticky situation. Um, but Biff luckily shows up and starts to bully uh, Marty and gets him out of the picture, but then starts to try to assault Lorraine, which is not good. But thankfully, George finally um, heroes up and he KOs Biff with one epic um, fist clenching punch. Uh they go into the dance together. Marty shreds and writes Johnny Be Good, I guess. That inspires, you know, the late, great Chuck Berry to write the song. Um, and everything's looking good. All good to go. And in the departure, now the only drama is still Doc versus the clock. This time with the clock thing malfunctioning and they can't, um, the cable comes loose and it's not working. And Marty has the conflict where it's Marty versus the car because the car won't start when they're trying to you know, get going at this exact time. They have to start to get up to 88 miles an hour and escape. But despite all the odds, uh, Marty makes it back to the future, but we don't know what's going to happen with Doc. So Marty pops up in 1985 on the night he left, um, but he sees the Libyans still kill Doc as Marty escapes. But we find out that Doc did read the letter, and he has confronted time and he's alive because he wore a bulletproof vest um so we go from the mall back to home and at home uh marty wakes up and learns that uh george is now a bold uh successful man lorraine instead of being an alcoholic is the first thing marty says is thin i'm not sure if that's really the opposite of alcoholic but she's happy she's she's happy now uh linda formerly being boyfriendless, now has multiple suitors calling her on her home phone, which, way to go, Linda. And Dave, instead of wearing his funny uniforms, now dressed up in a suit about to go into the, quote, office. Um, and so everything seems like it's going to be resolved. We see Biff uh, goes from bully to car buffer because he's just out there, like, putting wax on cars since George um, asserted his authority over him. And Marty, we find, finally has the car of his dreams. He has this beautiful, sleek black pickup truck um and bringing the movie home there's a final re being reunited with jennifer which marty's you know so excited just to see her face to face but the movie ends on unresolved note because doc returns from the future to confront marty and say marty we have to go back to the future and that is more or less the movie in a nutshell so where i see the the cool like thematic development like i said is doc and the clocks are closely associated throughout the movie uh marty and the car are closely associated throughout the movie of course george's big thing is overcoming being a pushover biff's big thing is going from bully to servant um and the beginning of the movie which starts in doc's lab moves to jennifer um goes to marty's home then goes to the mall for the time travel basically reverses when he travels back to the mall he goes home, he's reunited with Jennifer, and Doc shows up in his quote-unquote lab kind of setting to take Marty on another adventure. So a lot of cool stuff going on structurally to the movie, which I think makes it work really well with the love story of his parents really being the highlight and uh, body of the movie. So that's Seth's synopsis and analysis, I guess. So you can take yeah. it, take it for what it's worth. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think there's some good points. I, I yeah, um, I don't know if you noticed this, but at the very beginning of the movie, one of the um, pictures you see in Doc's little garage or lab or whatever you want to call it is a picture of a man hanging off of a clock. Um, oh. that is a famous scene from, I believe, a Hitchcock movie. Perhaps. I did not know that. But I didn't notice that. I mean, that also sort of yeah telegraphs you know, a little bit where the movie's going. Yeah, but and you can also see the the pictures of um, Einstein and I guess Thomas Edison and yeah, um, all those pictures 
And um, I think that, you know, you sort of said this earlier, but I think that this is the most economical script or screenplay that has ever been created. Yeah, yeah. Like, everything pays off. Yeah. Everything matters. There's not a bit of wasted time in this movie. Yeah. Which I don't know how you feel about that because, you know, some some movies get praise for like like Quentin Tarantino's Royale with Cheese scene from Pulp mm-hmm. Fiction. That is a arguably, you know, meaningless scene, but it's very much praised and people think that it's, you know, excellent and um Yeah. You know, it's it's a nice scene. Um, but this movie doesn't really take any time to I guess sort of I guess explore, you know, poke fun at things. It's just kind of everything yeah, it's, it's matters, and it's yeah. So, um, I, I don't know. I, I think that this movie is is masterfully created. Yeah. That's that's my yeah. Yeah. take I, on it. I agree, and I think, um, I mean, what the stuff I was listing was just the stuff at a very high level, um, but. I mean, down like you're observing, even the first, I guess, opening cut scene of the movie with all these clocks almost tells the story of the, the movie, um, moving around. And yeah, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the clock guy now. That's hilarious. And see, I, I guess that's something you would notice having watched the movie a bunch of times. Um, whereas this, I realized oh, yeah. I've watched the beginning of this movie before and the end of this movie before, but I'd never watched the whole thing all the way through. Uh, so this was a really cool chance to actually do that and i really enjoyed it and it's it's really funny yeah. it gets really weird though with some of the him and his <laughs> mom stuff um i'm surprised yeah. like it's, it's a pg movies old pg but to be i guess like a more family oriented movie i guess it's um yeah it's just got some weird stuff going on there well it was it was actually this movie was turned down by so many studios because I, I think that Initially, Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis wanted wanted um, Disney to take mm. it, <laughs> and Disney was like, "We're not touching that with a ten foot pole." <laughs> and so, um, I believe what happened was, uh, you know, I, I I think that Zemeckis and and Steven Spielberg were were close friends, and Steven Spielberg was like, "I'll make it," or he was like, "I'll help you do this," and so I think it was. I think this movie is, you know, I think Steven Spielberg did get a producer's mm. credit. Let me let me fact check that really quick because I want to. I don't want to spread any false yeah, information. Yeah, no, you're good. And I might be, I might be remembering that wrong, but I believe that they that they found sanctuary with Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Um. Because I mean, they're yeah. Yeah, he he's an executive producer, yeah. but yeah, I think I think he sort of helped the movie come to fruition because, um. You know, no one wanted it because of the incest sort of yeah, yeah. <laughs> thing. But, um, you know, Universal ended up throwing their stamp on on the movie. Yeah. Um, so, but but yeah, the movie almost wasn't made. Mm, well, um, just because it had some very sensitive stuff. Yeah, in which it. I think is the intent is for it to be comical, um, especially because yeah. you you know just like uh, so so ironic that like Lorraine at the beginning of the movie is talking about how, you know, girls shouldn't be calling boys or, you know, I would never sit in a parked car with a boy when I was younger. And then you see her back in time and she's like the complete opposite of how <laughs> she portrayed herself to be. So there's like, you know, the irony going on of like how she relates to her mom is like, you know, as the teenagers, like basically how she becomes uh, later in the movie, uh, but yeah, it's it, there's definitely some mature themes and like the way Biff treats Lorraine in the past is very like handsy and I don't know, like aggressive. Yeah. Very racy. There's definitely some yeah, strong sexual assault vibes going. So yeah, I, that's some of that stuff surprised me, I guess. Um but it makes George all the more heroic when he finally, you know, punches his lights out. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the score? Oh, I thought it was really cool. Um, I really, I guess the, whatever theme it is, is iconic. Cause I, I recognize the theme 
not like I said, not having consciously seen the movie, but I still recognize like that is like, oh yeah, that's the Back to the Future, you know, music. Yeah. Um, but I didn't notice anything else other so, than the theme. I guess was there other stuff you noticed musically? Well, I mean, I know, I know this, I know the entire like, score by <laughs> yeah. heart just about. But the reason I bring that up is is one because it is such an iconic score. You know, it's up there with, mm-hmm. you, you know, John Williams' works. Um, the person who did it, or the person who scored this movie, is a fairly well-known name in the the movie and music industries, Alan Silvestri. Oh, yeah. And you may know some of his other works. His most notable, other than Back to the Future, maybe being the Avengers uh, theme. yeah. So yeah, he he scored the Avengers movies. Mm, the I guess he's ones. got a thing for time travel movies. <laughs> um, but he's done a lot of a lot of stuff. Um, so he's he's also, you know, up there with I'd I'd put him up where with with John Williams in terms of writing fun mm. sort of um, bombastic, you know, pieces. Um, but but yeah, it, it definitely adds to the to the movie the his his score. Yeah, and uh, the musically, so the stuff Marty McFly does, I think, is really um, really cool too. And how they kind of make that a, a good culture joke where he's playing, I guess, blues or that's not really like blues. What did you call like the upbeat blues Johnny Be Good song? Like, yes, rock and so roll. Yes, yeah, so that's rock like and roll, rock man. and roll. But then he goes <laughs> to like the more like shreddy um because i would still think what he was playing was rock it just is it's not i guess the rock of the 1950s yeah that's more yeah like that's kind of what i was thinking like he's doing like stuff. the finger tapping and it's just like nuts and i also noticed i'm sorry for you know you your movie fans but what he's doing with his hands on the guitar does not match the sounds that are coming out so at some point yeah. it's not him well, playing at some, I mean, so he, I do know that it's not mm-hmm. him singing, but I do know that he learned guitar. Yeah, because he handles the guitar like he knows what he's so, doing. So he had a, the guy who actually plays bass in his band, mm-hmm. the Pinheads, at the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie, that was his guitar teacher for oh, the movie. Very cool. So he actually knows how to play the Johnny B. Good song, and I think he's, I think people like, maybe Coldplay or someone invited him up on stage <laughs> to to play with yeah. him to play that song. So I know that he learned guitar yeah. for this movie. I think it was just the solo part um, where I was noticing um it just it started to get yeah. a little off. Which maybe maybe he was playing it. It just it was just not lined up um with the film. Well the shred the shredding towards yeah. the end of Johnny Be Good was was probably the yeah. guitar yeah, teacher yeah, yeah. or someone. We'd have to research but, that. I guess we we can't really not acknowledge, you know, the the reference to Eddie Van Halen. He, you know, he he died just this yeah. past month. Um, so yeah, he. But I thought that was a funny bit when he sort <laughs> he's in George's room and he says, "I'm Darth Vader from Planet <laughs> Vulcan." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's playing Eddie Van Halen on the on the. Uh, Tape yeah. track. Yeah, all kinds of um, pop culture, which I guess that's one of the benefits of time travel movies is they, they give you a chance to um, see your culture, I guess, as what it would look like in a different time. Or, you know, if it, like how, um, like, there really is a progression. Like, when he's they're watching the you know, the TV around the dinner table back in 1955 in Lorraine's house. They're watching Jackie the Jackie Gleason. Gleason show, and Marty's like, oh, yeah, I've seen this on reruns. And everyone's just looking at him like, "Like, what are you talking about? Like, is this guy, <laughs> is this guy for real? Like, he said he has two TVs. Like, who has two TVs? And the mom's like, oh, he's just, he's just, he's just joking with you. Or, you know, like, so it's, it's also just, I guess there's always a sense of humor just with, uh, you know, imagining, man, like, the world really was different, you know not not even that long ago yeah. and like for the 
second movie what he what they project 2015 to be like um totally you know is not what the real 2015 was like um yeah but i guess yeah it it is it is fun um i remember seeing in an interview bob gale just sort of said the idea of the movie came up because he just kind of wondered what, like if he would have been friends with his mm. parents in high school, like if he would have yeah. jailed with them or tried to or, date his mom. You know. <laughs> but, but the, and I think, so I think that's a very interesting concept. Just, you know, what, what were, cause you know, your parents may tell yeah. you stories or whatever, yeah. but um, it'd be interesting to know them when they are, you know, at a similar age and at a similar point in their life as you. Yeah. Um, and to just sort of, you know, get an answer to that question. Like, would we have been friends? Would, would we have been mortal enemies? Would we have never, you know, mm-hmm. crossed paths? Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, so, it is, I think that's, yeah. Is, I don't know if there's a novel, like if there's ever been another story told like that. This is the only one I can think of. Like, it seems like a very creative, original idea, I guess. I mean, I know there's a whole, you know, breadth of time travel movies at this point, but was this pretty much the first like major time travel movie you can think of? As far as I know, um, yeah, I can't think of many more. I can't think of many more movies where, you know, kids sort of switch places, but they're like, I know that there's like the 17 again, movie yeah. with Zac Efron. And I know that since this movie, there's been a lot of, a lot of people just doing their yeah. own takes yeah. on time travel and relations between, you know, father and son and mother and daughter yeah. and stuff like that. But I, I do not have any movies that are older that come to mind that sort of try to yeah. do the same thing. So perhaps there is a, an older story, but um, if, not, if nothing else is probably one of the most popular ones and it finds itself in you know the conversation and allusions to other movies like most recently i guess with the avengers movies and endgame they're talking through time travel yeah. scenarios and yeah. it's even referenced yeah they're like what do you think this is back to the future you know which is funny because the avengers movie they sort of discredit the 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 time yeah, travel yeah. science for back to the future when they don't even yeah. follow their own yeah. rules in that movie <laughs> <laughs> like they set up their own rules and then don't follow them. And so that movie is messier than yeah. Back to the Future, but they sort of yeah, take a jab yeah. at the movie. Which, um, I guess, for all we know, the Russo brothers might be big fans of Back to the Future, but it, it is funny that, um, there's all that there are to be, a, a so, as far as we know, fictitious, you know, um, sci fi thing, you know, time travel. There are so many different theories about what it would actually be like if there was time travel like in the x-men movies you know there's like a thing i think the the theme in those is the time is like a river and you throwing like a um throwing a rock into the river might give a ripple but it's not going to change the river like it's going to take a more you know monumental um change in that and with this this movie where he's still i guess there it's the singular timeline until the second movie which don't want to spoil that but there's multiple timelines now. Um, yeah, super complicated. We, we could muse the, uh, like, implications or actualities of time travel probably all night and <laughs> and completely yeah. waste our time doing so. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so movie-wise, I don't know. So the other observations I guess I had made that I mentioned was that each character kind of has their own battle to overcome, where I think the... the uh, Doc Brown versus the clock is seems to be like the main thing, either with time or time is represented by a clock. And then Marty and the car, I think is like, he's carless. He gets the DeLorean as his car. He has used the car to rescue himself. And then he finally gets his dream car. Um, I don't know if you, what you thought of those observations. I like them and, and I definitely see them. Um, they're definitely there and yeah yeah each character has their own sort of struggle and 
one of the things that I noticed that I picked up on is just sort of the theme of history mm. repeating itself. And two examples that come to mind instantaneously, and I mean, there's probably thousands yeah. more in the movie. But, so Marty is exactly like his dad. Mm. And he, he probably never would have thought that. But his timidity and his, you know, fear of of failure and rejection. Yeah. Like he says, like George says some of the yeah. same things that Marty does exactly. earlier on in the movie. And, um, you know, Marty from 1985 would look at his father and just be like, this, me and this guy have nothing in common. This mm-hmm. guy is such a loser. Uh, I don't, I, you know, I don't even know how we're, you know, related, but then he goes back in time and sort of gets, gets a, you know, better picture of who his father is and sees that he was a creative person and, you know, he writes science fiction stories, but he's afraid of the rejection that he might get mm-hmm. if he shares them with people. Um, and, and Marty's sort of in the same boat with his music. Um, and then another example that I have is just, if you look at the, I guess, political nature of, well, not nature, but the political landscape mm-hmm. of Hill Valley, I suppose, where in 1985, they're, you know, wanting to to reelect Mayor Goldie Wilson, and he stands for, you know, honesty, integrity, and um, I forget what, what, what the all three, let me just open my door real quick, <laughs> because I have a Mayor Goldie Wilson poster yeah. on my door. <laughs> um. Honesty, decency, mm. and integrity. So, and the exact same poster is used in 1955 um, to promote the candidate, or not candidate, but the current mayor that is up for re-election, Red, mm. Red Wilson, I believe. Or is it Red Thomas? This is going to bug me now. I can't remember. Um, while you're looking that up, though, I also noticed that Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan Red was Thomas. listed as an actor in... One of the movies playing at the uh, yeah cinema. I'm trying to remember what years he was actually president. I think he was president in the 80s, wasn't he? Yeah, I think it was. Um, like, I'm not trying to look that up too. It it, it was yeah. the 80s. 40th president, 1981 the, to 1989. So he was the president at the time the movie was made in 1985, and he's an actor. Yeah. In the theater of one of the movies um, when they go back to Hill Valley. So I thought that was also kind yeah. of a. Um, cool pop culture, you know, illusion reference. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But, but I just, I, when I was watching this last night and I saw another thing, another few things Hmm. that sort of, you know, reinforced that, you know, message of history repeating itself. Those are just two, examples that i can come up with right now but it, i thought it was interesting because on the red thomas flyer it said you know honesty mm. decency integrity same thing um same sort of i guess m- you know mode like there was vehicles driving around you know with a sort of you know gosh what the is it? uh the ads well, like yeah they just had vehicle yeah yeah the, yeah, the advertisement same same way that yeah. they advertised it. And so everything. Um, we guys also could quote the uh, teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible who says there's nothing new under the sun, <laughs> I guess is a similar yes. thing. There's also a Reliant K <laughs> song that, <laughs> that references yeah, yeah. that scripture, I believe. Um, mm. What's all been and done speak, before. Yeah. We do some things to death and then we mm. dig it up just to do it some more, which also is a present theme in Back to the Future Part 2 with yeah. Jaws 19. Yeah, was, yeah, was, what was think, it, Jaws 19? Directed by yeah, Steven was, Spielberg's Which that was a hilarious <laughs> reference. It's just, you know, there's gonna keep, everything's going to keep going, you know, one way or, or another. Which is funny because that's true. Yeah. Like if you look at today, it's nothing but reboots, you know, remakes, sequels. Yeah. That's yeah. all we get these days. There's there's almost nothing novel except for yeah. whatever people, Christopher Nolan. Well, people doing. yeah, people like the familiar <laughs> for sure. Um, and I was even thinking as you were you were talking about you know the influence of parents and stuff. You have like the, the progressive or is nationwide or progressive commercials where the people are becoming like their parents, you know, as adults and, and doing that stuff. Where but it's like really oh, funny. Yeah. 
um like like the dude adopts his yeah. mother's like you know characteristics or uh but it's, so it's just yeah like it's supposed supposed to make you think like oh man like how am i becoming like my parents um i know for your music it was yeah. even as a reflection you know we're talking about marty and his father but for you and your father was a theme for you to create around so again you, yeah <laughs> no, again i, I think I you uh, i didn't you even think Marty about McFly, that <laughs> um you guys are two peas in a pod <laughs> i suppose um speaking of music um so at the very beginning of the movie when marty and his band mm. the pinheads are auditioning the guy that says hold it hold yeah, it, yeah i'm afraid you're just too darn loud that is huey lewis okay that's Huey Lewis from Huey oh. Lewis in the News. Um, and he's the guy that did a bunch of the songs for the movie. But he's also one of my favorite artists oh, so that's of all time. Super ironic, I guess, I guess then, that he's the uh, the one that's... Ter- yeah. Yeah, he's like, you guys, are, you guys need to turn it down. But, but um, I actually, for a few of my um, music classes in college, I wrote... I had to write a paper about a record and i chose huey lewis's was it sports i think is that a record that was Mm. that was a couple years yeah sports so yeah i i uh reviewed their record sports um but but yeah huey lewis uh i believe he has two songs in this movie that's power of love and back in time but excellent Mm. excellent songs is um and i think that you know the the producers of this movie or whoever chose the music did a great job yeah bringing him on board Mm. well i think i mean we totally could talk forever about um all of the details in the movie but we do need to (laughs) but we do need to i guess uh, put our thoughts together on it um so if there's nothing else you want to observe, I think it's your turn to go first in your evaluation. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think because I don't want to, you know, listen back to this later and think, <laughs> why didn't I, you know, mention this? But I mean, we, we gave the synopsis and, and some of our thoughts and, and it's definitely out there. You know, you can listen to a bunch of other podcasts and sort of, I guess reviews and and whatnot about this movie and get a lot out of it. Um, But yeah, this movie is just definitely got a lot to unpack. So, but I think we did a good job. So yeah, I'll jump into my review. So (laughs) for a long time, Mm -hmm. I said this was my favorite movie of all time. It it may still be. There's a lot of movies that I think I love these days, but this movie will always hold a special place in my heart. And I definitely think it's, you know, I said earlier mm-hmm. it's, it was masterfully crafted. Um, since since this isn't like a horror movie or, you know, a special kind of movie, like a comic book movie, uh, I'm just going to give it a mm-hmm. single score. But this is one that I think would have to be yeah. close to perfection for me. Um, I don't want to hand out tens. And for and for the last um, week, Halloween, so, or sorry, for the horror subcategory. So we still—I don't think—we still haven't given a yes. movie a ten overall. Yeah, um, and mm. I don't think I'm going to do it today, <laughs> um, even though I do think that. They're just, there isn't a movie with more payoff, more, um, you know, more of an economical, you know, screenplay yeah, slash script. Yeah, where every detail matters. term you want to use there. Yeah. It, yeah. There, and mm-hmm. this movie has so much payoff. But I, I just, you know, it's a very fun movie, but I still just don't know. I don't, I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I do think it is a solid movie. I think given my personal connection to it and just the fact, you know, that it is very 
um, very well crafted. I think mm. I would have to give it a nine. Um, it's it's just a really fun time. I think I think it's a very fun story, and I think they did a very great job with it. So. I'm not going to go too much into it. I mean, you can listen to what I've said throughout the rest of this, you know, conversation. You know, mm-hmm. the music is excellent. Huey Lewis. I love Huey Lewis. The score is, you know, bombastic and in your face and yeah. very loud and proud and um, iconic. Uh, the acting, I just don't think you could have. I don't think I this agree. movie yeah. could have been casted better. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I think I'm just going to shut up and, and say that mm. this is a nine yeah. for me. I think that's, that's well, um, well reasoned and IMDb, let's see, gave it eight and a half out of 10. So I think definitely a lauded movie by many, um, as I'm reflecting on my own impressions I was thinking about stuff we didn't even get to talk about um, just because of time tonight, but like each actor's performance, like you briefly just mentioned was, I mean, like spot on for um, how this movie really was able to gel and work together. Um, I think Christopher Lloyd was hilarious as Doc Brown is just so like spacey (laughs) and what you expect a mad scientist to be like. Um, Michael J. Fox was just so cool as Marty McFly, like just, um, but also, you know, so relatable struggle where it's like, you know, he's, He's uh, afraid of being rejected and, you know, just like still has, you know, personal battle to overcome. Um, so I th- I think I had so much fun watching this movie. Like I said, we laughed like a lot. But at the same time, some of those uh, incest moments were just also a little cringy because it's so there's like, oh, it's easy to just be like, oh, yeah, you know, it's just it's just supposed to be funny. But it's like, mm supposed to be you know just funny but it's also it's it's just funny because it's making me feel really uncomfortable right now um so but structurally like with my observations it was a little tough for me at first to to get a sense for you know like how is the story being told and if i was trying to organize how these details are coming back together but I, i really think there is a you know good intentionality um to and good pacing to the story i think it's a little slow in the middle Whereas just, you know, scenes that kind of they have to maybe throw in there leading up to the dance because they need all the pieces to be in place. Um, but the movie, it was getting already pretty long already. It's close to two hours um, with a ton of stuff to fit in there. So none of that really to be critical or complain, but just um, that as I'm, I'm trying to see if I also would be tempted to give this movie a 10. I don't think I would give it a 10. Um, hmm. I think oh, so hard. I think I, I think I'm going to agree with you. I think I would give this a nine um, because really anyone could watch this movie and just really enjoy it. Um, you don't have to bring a lot to this movie because this movie just gives you a really fun time. Um, and it's very dynamic plot twisty, like, little confusing but not they do a good job explaining paradoxes and all that stuff to make it really accessible but they don't make you feel like you know silly as a viewer like you don't know what you're doing so yeah well done robert zemeckis and and crew this was a nine out of (laughs) ten um Mm -hmm. also also to go off of what you were saying this movie really has something for everybody it's got romance it's got science fiction and action and um i mean just just pick pick an aspect of film that you yeah are you even really got a brief horror when scene when he's dressed up as an alien in george's bedroom you know that's <laughs> they, they really they really put it on <laughs> yeah and also when he when he gets into the future um and and first lands mm. on old man peabody's farm and is in his barn yeah yeah bit of a horror element there too also speaking of old man peabody um did you notice that when marty mcfly knocked down one of his pines when they went back to the future it was lone pine mall dude i did not notice that that's so cool yeah there's tons (sighs) of little stuff like that throughout this movie 
No, um, I'm glad you did because I, 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 I had not noticed that, that at the last um, second too. Man, now, <laughs> I kind of just want to go back and rewatch it now just to see what else you know, like pops. But um, I think for the purpose of any who listening to this, hopefully you've been uh, inspired as you've reflected on this movie, um, and that you also <laughs> have a desire to go back and watch it, looking for some of the things that we've talked about. But Caleb, I've had a lot of fun talking about what was your eighth grade self's um, favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and still it's probably, it's probably yeah. one of my all time favorite movies. I would, I wouldn't necessarily say it holds the, holds the mantle or um, holds the number one spot these days, but it definitely is up there for me. Um, so happy, Mm. 65th anniversary of um doc emmett brown's oh yeah we didn't even mention the fact of recording this on on the november 5th because they go back to the date november 5th yeah Yeah, that's the whole reason why we're doing this movie right now (laughs) (laughs) but but yeah it is the 65 year anniversary of doc brown creating time Mm. travel so maybe someone listening to this will have a very um inspired visionary moment of something that they'll write down on a piece of paper and then come to realize as a, you know, true invention in 30 years it can happen to any of us, I suppose. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the jump to conclusions, <laughs> Matt, perhaps maybe somebody will come up with something yeah. as ingenious as that. Uh-huh. Well, Caleb, <laughs> last time you left us with a uh-huh. um, very funny illusion as a, um, as a goodbye, but I feel like it would only be fitting for me now to give the, the correct version of Biff's famous blunder and say that, well, got to make like a tree and leaf. Oh man. I feel like you missed, I feel like you just gotta, you gotta quote, right. you know, you just gotta go for Better it. Make like a tree. And get out of here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, thank you, Seth, for the engaging conversation about. Yeah, thank you, Caleb, for all you brought future. to it as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, guys. We will Ooh. see you, well, in the future. <laughs> Goodbye for now. <laughs>